So we were watching the Kentucky-Kansas State game. Okay. And I pulled up the quote from John Calipari after the game where he referred to Marquise Noel as the little kid mm. who scored all the points. The little kid who scored 27 and 9. Sure. On his team and sure. single-handedly eliminated them from the NCAA tournament. So her question to me was, which coach in college basketball or college football is most likely to not know the name of their own players? Because mm. it definitely came across in this as very standoffish and but maybe like he, he, did, didn't he didn't know the other. Time. And I think that, you know, that happens sometimes afterwards. Like a coach has so much stuff going through their minds. They're like, oh, number five, he really played a great game on their team. But sure. But what about your own players? Are there any coaches out there that you're just like, yeah, I could see him just referring to somebody as the little kid yeah, yeah, on, his, yeah. on their own roster? Well, I, I feel bad because my immediate instinct feels like piling on and... He's no longer an active coach, but Jim Beheim feels right. like the that, obvious. That was, my, that was my number one obvious pick. <laughs> that feels like the obvious one, but I want to go outside of just our normal bashing on on Beheim. Ah, that's a segment idea. Bashing ba- on Beheim. Bashing on Beheim podcast. Of course, but the next person I think of also is not an active coach because it's Bo Ryan. Man, yeah, there's some good ones out there. Patrick Ewing, but again, no longer. <laughs> I'm thinking of guys that have been fired uh, or retired. Boy, and I want to think about football, too. Football, I think, is easier because the first name for football also retired, Bobby Bowden. Oh, yeah. Like, he just immediately popped into my head as somebody who would be like, wow, number three is pretty fast. (laughs) I didn't know that. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I think Dabo strikes me, honestly, as, uh, you know, we've gone all, like, old guys pretty much. But there are some that I think just don't care to know. So, like, Dabo strikes me as one that would just be like, ah, you know, they got a good running back over there, but he's no Jesus Christ. Uh, or something something along those lines. I think that Lane Kiffin probably doesn't bother. Uh, Mike Leach would have been a good one. Mike Leach, yeah. Uh, rest in peace. If it wasn't a quarterback who was making decisions, and right. he, he probably doesn't know anybody who's ever played defense. No, no, of course not. That's a really, really good question, though. I think that... There's definitely been some good examples over the years of coaches that like I, I like I like it framed as forgetting their own players' right. names. Right, just like uh. this reminds me of my I had a high school basketball coach who um, I guess I'm I'm doxing one of my former teammates, but that's uh, fine. Go ahead. His first name was Uganda, and my coach used to always call him Uganda, like the country. Mm. Maybe problematic. Very problematic. Um, but I can still hear him yelling, Uganda! And we'd all kind of laugh and put on to play football at Towson. Uh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think, I'm trying to think if there are any other coaches that come to mind immediately. Obviously not immediately, but um, thinking through like major coaches that I could see just not knowing their own. What a hilarious concept. <laughs> just... <laughs> Come on, kid. Let's go. <laughs> he just sit. He's sitting next to him uh, at the post game interview, just looking like, oh man, I recognize him from somewhere. You think Izzo's there? I don't know. Maybe he's. But he's he, so he, it's personable. More, like... It's more like he gets in such a blind rage <laughs> that he just has a blindness to what their name is <laughs> in his brain. Yeah, I could see him, or uh, maybe like Mike Woodson, just mm. kind of like. 
he just calls everybody either Trace Jackson Davis or Jalen Hood Javino. <laughs> and if you're not one of those two, why cares? are you shooting the ball? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's not a bad strategy anyway, but uh, that, yeah. Well, it's in- interesting you brought up Indiana because Jim Laranega was the name that popped oh, in my head. Oh, that's, that's a really good one. Oh, they man. Just played, so. I mean, Leonard Hamilton, age wise, you got to think it might happen. He He's also doesn't seem too. to talk to his players. And, and anytime they ever put the camera on the Florida State bench, it's always his assistant. He's just sitting there mean mugging at them, like, yeah. looking disappointed. <laughs> I like the Larry Nago one, though. I'm thinking about him in a game and, like, he's talking to his assistants about a play or something they want to drop coming out of timeout. And maybe, you know, Nigel Pack's really hot. And I could just see him being like, yeah, that, uh, that transfer guard we got, just like, let's drop him up or him. Oh. I just happened to pull up the bracket and hit hit with another one. Bob Huggins. Oh, sure. Bob Huggins doesn't know who they're playing most of the time, I think. I mean, he's a great coach. But I think there's times where he's probably just kind of like, I don't you never know, You know man. what's going through that guy's mind. And he's also so demanding. But then, you know, the, there was the famous, his player got injured in the Final Four against Duke. Oh, and he was yeah. like cradling his face. And uh, that was a, you know, a little teardrop moment for yeah. me. Like, yeah. Hello, this guy... Maybe he, maybe he was down there introducing himself. Hey, I'm the coach. <laughs> hey, what's by the way, what's your name? Because uh, this is going to be a great moment for us. <laughs> We're going to be, there's a lot of cameras on us right now. And, uh, oh, Deshaun Butler. Oh, that's right. <laughs> this is going to be a big moment for us. And it'd be real great if in the post-game press conference I could call you by name. <laughs> instead of calling you that poor kid who got hurt. <laughs> Okay, that was a good icebreaker to talk about the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Welcome back. You were there for some. I was there. I was in Sacramento. Got to see some very exciting games. Princeton advancing past Arizona. And that seemed like it was going to be the upset of the tournament until... FDU came along and stole their thunder. Yeah. But I, pretty cool. Pretty no cool longer fairly Dickinson. I would say extremely Dickinson. Yeah. They've got to turn the Dickinson knob up yeah. one Get that notch. thing up there. Well, this is cool. I think the, the fact that you were there for Princeton, Arizona is very... Uh, it's the example I've been using talking to people all weekend about the fact that we're not doing brackets. And... People are like, what? You're not doing brackets? Like, people who know me are like, but you love basketball. Surely you, of all people, would have a million brackets. Right. And people who don't know me, like the guy, I uh, uh, we ordered takeout from Buffalo Wild Wings the other night, not a sponsor. And I stopped in. Not yet. <laughs> That's right. And this guy was trying to talk to me and was like, yeah, you doing the bracket thing? And I was just like, nah, man, I'm not. And he, even he was like incredulous. I was like, Really? Because, like, everybody's doing it. But Princeton, Arizona, perfect example. Almost everyone I've talked to about this game is mad about it because it messed up their bracket. Because I didn't have a bracket, I could just sit back and enjoy the chaos. Same with FDU and Purdue. Like, let's go. It's just fun. Yeah, the FDU game was thrilling to watch from that exact perspective. I mean, on this show last week, Purdue was my Final Four pick from that region. And I was rooting so hard for FDU in that game. 
the atmosphere of that game was very, the Arizona-Princeton game was really, really interesting and definitely had some parallels to the UMBC-UVA game that I was at a few years ago. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, well, it was interesting because the, and, and you were there too, but the, this game was closer than mm-hmm. the UMBC game, but there was kind of just a quiet atmosphere, like the Princeton fans were cheering, there were a few of them, the Arizona cha- fans were cheering, there were more of them. And then about five, six minutes left in the game, everybody in the arena suddenly just like woke up to the fact that it was still really close and Princeton was hanging around and Arizona wasn't going on that run that, you know, pushed them. You just kind of assume they would. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everybody became super engaged and it was, it turned into like a 90% to 10% crowd. Like it just auto switched to everyone in the arena was rooting for Princeton. This was, was the ex- very cool. This was the experience I had with the UVA UMBC game that right. like at the time I was very neutral on it and just happened to be there and I know that you would have noticed this too but it's different when you're involved in it. But in these upsets in the in the arena there is a moment of of transformation. There's a moment when it become it shifts from some people kind of like, oh, this is fun. Plucky underdogs sticking around. But we've all seen it a million times. And more times than not, as much as we glorify the upsets in March Madness, more times than not, the favorite goes on a run. He's talking about FDU against Florida Atlantic in the second round. Same kind of deal, right? They're hanging around. But eventually, Florida Atlantic made their run, pulled away. Uh, Tennessee, Louisiana, first round. They didn't quite pull away. It was close. But, you know, it happens all the time. There are these games... That are really close, but the favorite still wins. But then there's that moment where the crowd shifts from thinking that to like, oh. Yeah, it's possible. And it's then they possible. and if you're not a fan of the favorite, you're automatically behind the underdog. Because who doesn't love that? Right. Yeah. The And thank God, right? Princeton, such underdogs in life. Mina Kimes had a great uh a great tweet about this right after the Arkansas game. They had beaten Kansas and yeah. Princeton was beating Missouri to get into Sweet 16, and it was like a plucky, likable underdog wins, but also Princeton. <laughs> it is funny. You're like, oh, thank God. It, and and I saw a similar thing about how you know a lot of these low to mid major schools when they make runs in the tournament, they see an uptick in applications and things like that. People paying attention, it's like, oh, thank God, people will finally, finally. start applying to Princeton. Finally, <laughs> this is what they needed to grow their endowment and their student body. Yeah. Yeah, I the the one other thing before we get into some specific games, not having a bracket was great. The one mistake that I did make, partially prompted by my friends who uh, are part of a gambling cohort that I have, they really wanted to bet on almost everything, which was sure. a mistake. Yeah, to even it was fun. It made me care about every single game of the tournament, even after UVA lost. So it was, it was a, a good thing, but it ultimately it led me to not rooting for as many upsets as I normally wanted to. Because you had betting sticks. We had, we had money on Arizona. So like, You're but still... even, even in the arena, like I was rooting for Princeton, rooting against my own money, which yeah. is stupid. So like, I should have just not bet on Arizona. Why, why would right. I care about that? So I need to do a better job of just, Picking those spots where I really think the team's going to win and care, like don't care about the result. Yeah. And then just enjoy the upsets. Otherwise. I did the same thing early on with betting. I was casting too wide a net and I did find myself in some situations where I was like, ooh, the, the basketball fan in me wants X to happen, but 
betting interest would be why and like you know that that is a difficult thing to to navigate so um, I didn't bet as much in the second round mm-hmm. so that I could just kind of sit back and enjoy yeah well now that our teams aren't in it I and most most of the big underdogs are out with the exception of Princeton I guess that's probably the Unless only you consider it depends on where you FAU. put Arkansas FAU yeah I mean Eight seeds or lower, still in it. There. I'll probably end up betting a lot this weekend, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. But you mentioned that moment of feeling like an upset could happen. Mm-hmm. I was watching from the arena. We got to the arena early in Sacramento because their game started at like 10 o'clock local time so that I could watch the UVA game. And suddenly, very surrounded with people in this like upper uh, sports bar area, they had a bunch of TVs and was watching the game and... Boy, I was the only UVA fan there based on the reaction of that final play. That's rough. That's rough. Didn't get to see it live. We were involved in a big school project and was trying to keep the attention of hundreds of high school seniors here in Charlottesville, Virginia, as this game was coming down to an end. And uh, that didn't go great. But went back and watched it. And I mean, I think the only appropriate reaction is, holy s***. Right. Like... Have you seen the video of Kevin Harlan? Yeah, like it would be a cool Stan video. Van Gundy's face, right? If but like the the thing that I focus in on is just the like they're all just like what like what did we just see from? I understand that people on in the Saber and UVA fans out there like Kihei catches his fair share of criticism. I think a lot of it tends to be unfair and a bit much. Even the people who criticize him the most, this is still mind-blowing. Like, this guy, didn't he just set the record for appearing in the most games in ACC history? Right. And you don't use a timeout? You just chuck the ball across the court? Yeah. He had a mind mind freeze. And it's, I think, reflecting on it, that is what is the most surprising about it. We watched the UVA-NC State game together, and NC State tried to put pressure in the backcourt against UVA. And it just was a non-starter because of how amazing Kihei he was. He never seemed just, worried about it at all. Yeah, just uh, perfect at manipulating the defense, staying calm, poised, using ball fakes. This was just an inexplicable moment from him. Given the career that he's had, whatever you want to say about Kihei, I am a huge Kihei supporter. Mm-hmm. This guy has single-handedly come up so clutch in so many situations for UVA. He has won games on last-second shots. He's made the winning pass to get UVA into the Final Four. Clutch. Plenty of flaws as a player, but he has been clutch. For him to make that pass is sickening because, for me, this is where I land most of it. Like It was sickening in the moment as just as a UVA fan because they, they had the game won. Mm-hmm. But sickening for him and his career to end that way, that he will be remembered in this way forever on on reels and one shining moment videos, that it had to end that way for him. It just like I'm, I, on a personal level, am crushed for him. Oh, I totally agree. I am not a UVA fan. I wouldn't classify myself that way. But as a basketball fan, as an ACC basketball fan, I love Kihei Clark. I There's things about him that, of course, he's not perfect. This sucks. Like, one of the most decorated careers. Like, it's just, it is brutal. 
I hate it. I like it. It does suck. I think like reflecting on it, if this were almost any other team, I would have just kind of laughed at it and been like, "Jesus, that like how do you screw that up?" And I had a little bit of that reaction. I'm not gonna lie, but I just felt bad. I felt bad because it was just kind of like a brain fart. Like yeah, you had a timeout. And you had the, you had a reversal. I mean, you could have thrown it off the guy's leg. He could have like just walked with the ball probably would have been a better result, right? Then you could at least set your defense. So yeah, just really totally inexplicable. But the, for me, you know, that was of course the like in the moment feeling of just feeling awful about it. UVA had so many chances to win this game yeah. that went beyond that play. It should never have come down to that play. They had a moment up three, Isaac McNeely drives like less than a minute left drives dishes for an open dunk that they end up calling a foul on McNeely and he misses the front end of a one and one. So instead of going up five, which probably clinches the game, now you're still up three, you let them score. Mm-hmm. Kihei misses a free throw that would have, you know, at least not made it to a point where they could have won the game. And plus, just even beyond those late game situations, UVA's defense just really made a lot of mistakes that you don't see UVA's defense normally make. Mm-hmm. Going under on screens and handoffs, so many uncontested three-pointers that were really just inexplicable. Yeah. Like, you you don't see that at all from UVA. Like, other teams can outshoot them, but not without a hand in somebody's face. So all of that is just really hard to take as a fan. Mm-hmm. But having said that, some of the narratives that have come out in the wake of this game, my goodness. We we should not let some of these national reporters talk about teams that they've not watched. Like Pat Forty has not watched one minute of UVA basketball since the national championship game. Like I, I guarantee you watch some. No. He no, he's he's going around following Kentucky and UNC and like he's He's the most blue blood following dude. Sure, there's no way. I'm Pat Forty not UVA showing sense up. Sense that has played in several big nationally televised games. There's no way. He he. <laughs> okay. Listen, I'm gonna come across as defensive in this, but imagine that. Yeah, it's I'm, it's fine. I'll embrace <laughs> that. Like it is. The NCAA tournament is the greatest event in sports. It is not the best at actually determining the level of like the order in which programs are yeah right princeton's having an amazing run it's thrilling for them princeton is not one of the 16 best teams in the country sure and you could you could go down the list i i I wouldn't say uva is one of the 16 best but it's just it is chaotic and you're one and done and you have one hot shooter or one cold night or one bad call one brain mistake like kia and you're out Mm-hmm. It's not the best way for determining who the best teams are. I wouldn't change it. I love it. It's great. It's amazing. But at the same time, I don't think some of these narratives that come out, Tony Bennett can't win in March. Oh, no, that's stupid. So uh, me saying Pat Forty has watched some games is not me saying he's right about this. The narratives are awful. This is These are bad takes. Look, at the end of the day, Yes, it's an upset. Kid from Furman, Piggies makes an amazing shot. They make a great play. He had off. missed 14 three-pointers in a row leading up to that shot. Absolutely. So, like, kudos, right? I mean, yes, mistakes were made to lead to that. I went back and watched some of it. Virginia fouls up four with 12 seconds to go. Like, there, there's stuff that and you have the turnover with a timeout. I mean, even Caden Shedrick, you can see him walking off saying, like, we, have a, we had a timeout. 
Is somebody else could have called a timeout too. Right, like right. But not to take it away from Kihei, he should have done that. Yes. But anybody else in the court could have called yes. a timeout. But at the end of the day, like you take a look at it, and I don't know. I, I walk away thinking like credit to UVA overall. Maybe a team that peaked too early, but like this same pretty much same rotation plus some first years and Vanderplas, who's not even available for the tournament here, was an NIT team. And they won an ACC regular season championship. So at some point, you kind of have to look at it and say, hey, maybe this team wasn't that great. Like, talent-wise, they were fine. They were good. Don't get me wrong. I sang their praises this year. They were good. The fact that Bennett got them to where they are... And look, I've had my issues with the, like, Tony Bennett. I think he gets overpraised sometimes. That's not me saying that he's bad. I'm just saying I think that it's possible for someone to be really good at their job and also a tad bit overrated. I, I think there can be some of that. But, like, the the idea of, the, like, the way that Tony Bennett runs his program and developing players and finding guys who often are not the, like, big five-star thing, just because you got taken down by this dramatic, like, all-time March Madness moment does not mean that Tony Bennett is bad. It doesn't mean that he can't coach. And so, yeah, Pat Forty's take on, you know, the fact that, you know, UVA, his whole thing is that UVA made this run four years ago and it's it's a fluke. And everything else tells us that they're a terrible tournament team. And they've had struggles. Like, I'm not going to say they haven't. But, like, let's also think about 2020. Virginia was hot. 12-1 mm-hmm. and one to end the regular season that year. They were ready to make some sort of run, I would think. And then what? We have this, this upset to Furman. NIT the year before that, okay. Year before that was they were coming off of uh, COVID. Yeah, COVID. Several they couldn't practice in the lead up to an Ohio upset. They right. pretty much got off the bus to play with right. no real practice and and lost there. So like, I, I understand being disappointed. I understand feeling like this team had more in them, but. Let's not pretend that just because there have been some recent struggles that Tony Bennett didn't also take a team to the Sweet 16 in 2014, get to the Elite Eight in 2016. This team, to me, did kind of what you would think it did. Like, I don't know. Was this a championship team? I thought they were capable of making a run, for sure, because anything can happen. But, like, I don't know, man. This is not... Like, so many programs would trade... Their last five years for what UVA has had because of the one championship and because it is a team that constantly is at the top of the conference. I think you can criticize individual decisions. I wasn't thrilled during the game with how Tony Bennett subbed. Ryan Dunn, I thought, was playing great defensively and left the game in a situation where UVA was up 10 or 11 points and... Him leaving the game allowed Furman to go on a run mm-hmm. that got them back into the game and made it really close at the end. So, you know, you can criticize different elements of that. I think Armand Franklin sat for too long in the yeah. second half, too. And, and he's just so much of a better defender than McNeely, even though McNeely had been hitting shots earlier. But, man, like some of the, some of the narratives that are coming out of this, like just to, just to put a fine point on this, like, how many programs in the country right now would fire their coach if they knew it meant getting John Calipari tomorrow? Mm. Almost all but, like, 10, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Right? 
Here's John Calipari's last five seasons. 2018-19, lost in the regional final. 2020 was the COVID year. Then they missed the tournament in 21. They lost in the first round last year and then lost in the second round this year. This is one of the best coaches there is. Yeah. With some of the best players yeah. and some of the best recruits available. Yeah. National player of the year on their team. Mm-hmm. And they're out in the second round too. Mm-hmm. You, I think you're exactly right about UVA. Tony Bennett gets a lot from his players. doesn't mean he's perfect. But they haven't had the level of talent. The reason they won the championship is they had NBA quality players on the team. Yeah. And they didn't really have that this year. They managed to maximize what they had on the roster for most games. They had played in a ton of close games, won most of them, mm-hmm. maybe should have lost more, just happened to lose this one. I mean, shit, I'd trade for him. And I'm, and I'm not a fire Kevin Geats guy for NC State, but Tony Bennett is indisputably one of the best college basketball coaches in the country. I, I, you can't, in my mind, obviously Pat Forty thinks this is disputable. In my mind, it's not. In my mind, this is a guy that uh, he's an amazing coach, and I and I, I think again that some of the mystique is there, and people are. I, I I brought this up several times, and I guess this will probably be the last time this season. But the the thing from the athletic and the preseason thing about like Tony Bennett will will this team mm-hmm. to win or something like that, like that's just kind of stupid. But that would be true for any coach. It's dumb to say about anybody. That's not how coaching works. And, and obviously, there's individual rotation things that I've criticized this year that you've criticized this year that are warranting criticism. Roster building wise, I think there were definitely some deficiencies, but I, you know, and, and that's part of it. But I like the Jerome Tang, the Kansas State coach. I like his quote post game press conference where he said, like, we've got dudes. That's what this is about. Sometimes winning basketball games is about having the dudes, having the players. And I just think UVA just didn't have the dudes. Right. Kihei, like, needs more scoring punch around him to to really maximize what he has. And, like, I think Reese Beekman is a dude, but he lacked some of that scoring alpha that you needed from him. And you've got some guys that give you pieces, but it's just not there completely. And, yeah, your point about the comparison to Calipari, I mean, I think most of those same programs around the country would trade their coach for Tony Bennett. Right. The last thing I'll say... I've seen a number of people post about Tony Bennett's style of minimizing possessions does lead UVA to some situations where they might get upset in low-scoring games by inferior teams. I think that's true to some extent. So if Furman can win that kind of game, which is why maybe UVA has been out in the first round a few times. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's what has allowed UVA to, with not as many dudes, compete in the ACC year after year and make their runs when they have been able to make runs in the NCAA tournament. They haven't had the best players. Yeah. The, 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 the national championship year for UVA, if they had played Duke again with the R.J. Barrett and Zion, mm-hmm. those were better players. Yeah. UVA had a better scheme in minimizing possessions to maximize what they could get from the squad as a whole. Mm-hmm. So unless UVA starts getting five-star recruits, <laughs> which is probably not going to happen... They're not going to be Kentucky or UNC or whatever. They have to do something different in order to compete. So, yes, there, there is a high variability of what can happen in a game like this. It doesn't make it less frustrating. It is very frustrating. I, was, I felt sick, like mm-hmm. actually nauseous watching the game. It, it took me, like my, my wife described it as feeling numb. Like I just yeah. it, I almost couldn't believe that that just happened right. and was not in the mood to watch basketball, which is what we had on tap for the next, you know, <laughs> the entire weekend. But 
Mm. Sad. Yeah, it's it it's tough. I always think it's interesting to when a season ends like that to track when it transitions from for what's going to be true for all but one program in the country pretty much upset about the way it ended to thinking about next year and optimism and when it transitions to that part of the off season. I'm not there yet, but I can feel myself getting there for NC State. I can my mind is starting to shift more to all right, it's the week after the season ended. Let's start getting the transfer portal news. Let's start getting, you know, who's leaving? Who's staying? Who's, you know, who are we in the game for? What recruits are going to be visiting coming up? Like, this, to me, a lot of this is the fun part, is, is moving on, which is kind of sick. But when your team's not going to win the championship, it's all you have. It's like that, okay, let's win the offseason. We couldn't beat Furman. That sucks. But realistically, looking ahead, like, you beat Furman. Do you feel like you're beating San Diego State? Like I mean, we could have easily lost the way that they played against Furman. Right. That could have easily been a buzzsaw. And even if you win that, like then you're going on to Alabama. I, I I will say that making the Sweet 16 or even just the second round has a different feeling sure. than losing the first sure. game. But you're right. Like at the end of the day, what is the actual difference? It's not like I don't know. It's not like right. fans get to hang a banner for second round appearances. Well, if you're Duke, you get to hang a banner that says 19 and one when healthy. That's <laughs> I love that. So do you want to do some decompressing about your team? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I like I was sitting here thinking as you're talking through some of the some of the UVA stuff, there's such parallels, which is interesting because like we weren't in the same situation, but I just feel like following fan conversation, it's the same deal. Everybody wants to create a narrative about coaching and Obviously, we're in a different situation. Kevin Keats is not Tony Bennett. But, like, there's this whole thing that happens with NC State. And we talked about it a little bit, I think, kind of during the game. We've talked about it a couple times this season, maybe not necessarily on the pod. But when State loses, everybody wants to go into this, like, the offensive system doesn't work, right? Putting the ball in the hands of the guards, high ball screen, ISO, like that kind of NBA-style offense doesn't work. And that's what everybody wants to say. The problem is... We're never crediting it when it works. So when you win games, when you blow out Duke, when you beat Carolina, when you when it is effective, no one wants to sit there and say, man, this is great. Kevin Keats is letting his guys play like he's got the dudes and he's letting them go do their thing. It never gets credit and it always gets blame. And I have an issue with that. And I think maybe it's the coach in me that's like, you can't have it both ways. You can't say this is the problem but then not give it credit when it is effective. Well, and the other thing is about it I keep thinking is like, you ever watch Miami play? They do the same shit. Right. It's the same stuff. Like they play the exact same offensive style. It's just that they've got some better guys. And, and realistically, I'm not saying they have better guys than Jaquavion Smith and Jarkel Joyner. It's the role players that are better. Mm-hmm. So what happens is when your best guys are driving and breaking down a defense – and they kick out to somebody, there's more likelihood that that shot's going in. And defensively, they're better. And that, that ultimately is what what this game came down to. Is I think there's two things here, which is down the stretch, unable to get stops. And offensively, post-game was taken away because, I mean, like, the, 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 the phrase that keeps popping in my head is the, um, they are who we thought they were. Mm. Uh, especially Kalkbrenner. He's 7-1. He is who we thought he was. Like, he's giant. And he's pretty good. <laughs> and, like, DJ Burns is big, 
horizontally. <laughs> but, like, he's only, like, 6'8 at best. And so I think, like, the length down low really bothered him. And he was unable to, to get anything going. I mean, he was one for five from the floor. He had two points. So they really took him out of the game. And and even coming off, like, we've had some success in some games with when he's not going, you're able to get some pick and roll or some transition stuff with Duana um, as kind of a more athletic big. But that stuff wasn't quite there. And so then it ultimately just came down to it's the Traquavion Smith and Jarkel Joyner show, and in and, and this game specifically, Jarkel was not great. Like, he's done that a couple times. He's definitely the more inconsistent of the two. Traquavion was awesome. It wasn't the most efficient performance, but he put up 32 in a tournament game. Like, you can't ever really complain about that. But it just felt like we struggled with their size offensively and defensively. And I hate to make excuses when it comes to, like, injuries, but Dusan Mahorchich has been out for over half the season, and he's a legit 6'11", athletic big, who it feels like would have made a big difference in this game. No way to know for sure. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he comes in I and mean, just garbage. just size alone would have been a better matchup, at least yeah. defensively. Yeah, and so the only guy you really have on the bench, like Dewana has some decent size, but he's, he's skinny, doesn't really have the strength. Um, to deal with Cockbrenner down there. Same with the freshman Isaiah Miranda, who like also you can't put in. He's seven foot, seven foot one, but like he hasn't played all season. He's should still be in high school. You can't throw somebody in there who hasn't really been playing. I just feel like the matchup was bad in in that sense. The Keats criticism. The one thing I can see in this game is we did this against. Uh, when we got down to Clemson in the ACC tournament, it obviously didn't work, but we got a little bit of disruption for a few minutes when we went to a zone, which we don't do a lot. I understand, but, like, Creighton was 3 of 20 from 3. It feels like a zone might have been a move to, like, really crowd things inside, make them hit some shots from outside. Maybe they would have. Who knows? But 3 of 20 tells me they weren't exactly hot. It's not like they took – it was not like it was a low percentage on a small sample size. Yeah, but at the same time, I, to- I think I told you before, like, it felt like we were playing with house money anyway. This this season was way more than I think anybody would have thought. And that's the that's the delusional part of the fan base that you keep, that you like to remind me of is, like, we all... It's so funny how quickly they'll go from preseason, ah, oh, this team's going to suck, to, like, ah, oh, we should be in a Final Four. Keats, <laughs> Keats really screwed it up. And I'm looking at it and, like, yeah. You're, you're an 11 seed. Right? Yeah. You were an 11 seed. Like, you lost like an 11 seed could easily do in any 6-11 game. And it, it sucks because it's easy to look at the region and say, like, some things broke in ways, like, with Arizona losing us, like, it looked like, sure, you know, there's some potential there for a run if you get through, but whatever. And we want to, like, people want to get rid of Keats, and I'm just, I'm not there. Like, I'm looking at his... First season, NCAA tournament. Next season, he's 24-12. and 12. We barely missed the tournament. That was the kind of controversial, like, we're right on the bubble. And the non-conference strength of schedule kept us out. And then we have the COVID year. And we have a couple of down years. Now we're back in the tournament. And he hasn't really had success in the tournament. But this is also a guy who's been a Power 5 coach for six years. Like, there's still relative inexperience there. It's not as though he's had time. And you got to think, too, he also took over a program that had sanctions mm-hmm. and recruiting violations under Gottfried. Like he's really only had a couple of years where he, his program wasn't under investigation. 
So I think that not from stuff that he did, but from before he was there. I don't know. It feels like people are ready to give up on him, but at the same time, like, for what? Are you going to pay similar money just for somebody of similar experience level who you just hope is a change-up? Like, if you're going to pay a lot for an upgrade, if you're going to bring in Calipari, sure, I'll take it. Did you see the story that came out? The, the Josh le- Pastner bullshit about the pizza? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So stupid. <laughs> Even Calipari's like, no, that's not... Yeah, I, I feel like Calipari would have more considerations than a pizza place. The rumor among the state fan base has always been that it wasn't about where he took him to pizza, but the former AD Lee Fowler, that he made, that he didn't pay for it. Oh, That he split the check with. Oh, how do you... And well, I don't even on. know. I, I don't even know if that's true, but that's always been the rumor. That's, uh, that's, that's a brutal rumor. <laughs> yeah. So for this game, I, I take your point based on everything I just said about one game being a small sample size, anything can happen. I have been frustrated with NC State at times this year. This game, you have you end up with three total assists in the whole game. So yes, it makes total sense for Traquavion to score and shoot the ball a ton mm-hmm. and Jarkel Joyner to shoot the ball a ton. There were a lot of possessions where it just didn't seem like any passing was taking place. Yeah. It was just... ISO from the very beginning, and we're going to, like, no passes, everybody clear out. And at some point, you know, you can do that to some extent in games, especially if somebody's hot. But if that's the only thing that you have, and I don't I don't want to put that on Keats necessarily to say that is all that he has, because I know that Keats, yeah. he's a You don't get to be an ACC coach if you only have one That's my favorite is people are like, oh, he just doesn't have a system at all. I'm like... Yeah, this this ACC basketball the coach team that does, made the tournament just right? doesn't know how to run any sort of basketball offense. Yeah. But but it did strike me in watching the game. It was like they just didn't have another answer, and it, and it goes to what you were saying about the depth of the roster. You have those two guys, and you didn't have the supporting contributions from the role players. Casey mm-hmm. Morcel has been great great all year. It was pretty mediocre, I thought, in this game. I mean, four of six. One of one from three. If anything, I think he just should have gotten more shots. Right. Well, I mean, and that's that gets at yeah. you weren't not passing the ball. So, yeah, it, I I agree with what you're saying. Like they have a exciting young roster. It'll be interesting to see who comes back for them. Certain players come back for another year. They could be really really dangerous next year, mm-hmm. depending on who comes back. But I mean, as of right now, like technically, basically anybody except for Jarkel Joiner. And Mahorchich, who's been hurt, he has to apply for a medical redshirt. They're the only ones who are technically out of eligibility. It's been assumed Casey Morsell participated in senior night, so it's assumed that he's gone. But he hasn't said anything, and so there's who in this day and age, who who knows? I believe ninety nine percent that Terquavion's gone, but like we thought he was gone last year. Right. He went to the NBA Combine, like he did the whole process and was like one of the last early entries in the draft to drop back out. So, like, who knows? Like, I just... And then, you know, the fact that, like, again, I think part of co- evaluating college coaches is roster building. Kevin Keats did that. He went and found the dudes. Like, the transfer portal successes are amazing right now. Like, this is huge. So, you've got a class coming in with two four-stars. Then you have a four-star already committed for 2024. So, you have guys coming in that if you can supplement them... With veterans returning or transfers, like, the future's bright. I just think, yeah, you look at this game, and there's no doubt in my mind that Traquavion and Jarkel 
went kind of hero ball. They felt like big moment, tournament game. I have to take over. I'm the guy. Some of that because DJ was getting shut down. Like, there's your secondary offense thing is you have a post game to complement your guards who can create. And I know that's not like a complex system because it's DJ Burns gets the ball on the left block and backs him down and spends baseline probably. But it's been working all season. Well, but it's just another It's dimension. another option. It's and, another option. And they didn't have that. And and Jack Clark, your sort of stretch four was missing. And, and Casey Morsell doesn't exactly excel at creating his own shots. So you have to have something to get him shots. That's the one thing schematically I would like to change. I'd like to see some things running him off of some screens, maybe, and kind of treating him like a Clay Thompson type, where you're getting him looks, especially early on, Clay Thompson, to, to kind of help to to manufacture some of that offense. But I don't know, man. We lost a game that we were underdogs in. You know, it's not some inexplicable. We were in it for the whole game, pretty much. Started off really bad. Owned kind of the middle of the game, really. Like even went on a run in the second half. That thirty second run. Terquavion drives, dunks it on Kalkbrenner, and it's like, comes down on the defensive possession right after, has a massive block. Jarkel Joyner dribbles into a pull-up three. I am telling you right now, if that shot goes in, it would have tied the game at 58. If that shot goes in, we win the game. I promise you, it was one of those momentum things. Like, you remember watching the Carolina game. There were plays, there was a run in the second half, similar, where just a couple highlight plays strung back to back to back. And you just look at it, it's like, this is over. And that's what that felt like. When that shot didn't go in, it was like, oh, missed opportunity. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. I'm 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 feeling, as a fan, relatively ready to move on to looking at what the roster is going to look like next year. There are there's so many more things now as a fan that you have to pay attention to. It's like, you, it used to just be recruiting. Who are we going to bring in? Or, yeah. oh, maybe somebody will transfer out. But now we have all... Like you're going to have transfers. You're going to have transfers. Who is it going to be? But then also maybe people who go to the NBA Combine, are they going to stay in the NBA Combine? That's not a thing necessarily that yeah. is a one-and-done situation. Well, even just last year, the deadline got moved back. So now, yeah. You have you have an even longer period. And then, then you have freshmen. You have people reclassifying. Like, it's... It's wild. It's very exciting if you're into that kind of thing. I know a lot of fans aren't. It's like too much for them. They just want to, you know, show up in November and say, "Okay, let's take a look at the roster and who's on the team. Who 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 do I need to look out for this year?" But uh, yeah, it's I love it's I love the roster building, and I think it's it's made it so that these. I think you're going to start to see more and more of this. NC State's football program just just did this. They added a position. They have a general manager, and I think you're going to start to see. That that in a lot of places that position is that director of basketball operations or whatever is evolving into becoming like a GM type spot where you're helping with roster construction and people eyeing the transfer portal all year and kind of looking at like okay so for example Styles out of Notre, out of uh, North Carolina is transferring and so like so is Justin McCoy no so big, is no big deal <laughs> continue there it is <laughs> but like that was one of those that throughout the season it was like. You know, playing time would go down or something, and people would be like, oh, he's headed for the portal. And people are like kind of prepping for it. You're kind of looking at – it's like having an expiring contract in the pros. Right. So you're like eyeing people who are, you know, going to be even grad grad year rentals, like Jarkel Joyner or something like that, who, you know, has a really successful career at Ole Miss and then comes in and averages career highs across the board in his grad year, maybe partially because he's like 24 playing college basketball. But, like, 
you know, it's still, it, it, I don't know. To me, it's fun. I enjoy it. And that's what this is supposed to be, right? This is supposed to be fun. So It's fun, but I also, like, this is the part right now where it's like dread watch a little bit. Because it's like, for UVA fans, we've been kind of doing that mental thing that you were talking about with Caden Shedrick. Hasn't been playing at the end of the season. Yeah. Got it. You got to think he transfers. And then at the end of the year, like, he gets in, plays really, really well in the ACC tournament and against Furman. Hey, maybe maybe he's gonna stay. Oh, but is he gonna leave? Oh, like right. it's I don't know. It's stressful. I don't like that part. That's fair. It's it's good for the kids. I'm glad that they have the opportunity. There's to a downside, transfer, but there's a downside it is as stressful. a fan. Downside as a fan, yeah. There's there's some times you're gonna fan bases teams are gonna lose guys that you didn't anticipate transferring out, and that always kind of sucks. I felt that way with Cam Hayes and Shaquille Moore transferring out of NC State over the last couple of years, and uh, there's definitely times where you're kind of like, dang, I was really hoping we'd... You, you can't count on that guy. So, like, I, the guy I look at NC State right now is Breon Pass, who's kind of backup guard, where in past years, the way things went, you could count on him. Like, oh, you're going to have a solid backup guard next year because he's going to be back and he's experienced and all this stuff. But, like, now, the way things have looked, I look at a guy who played 13 minutes in a tournament loss, had one rebound, nothing else, no shot attempts, and I'm like, oh, that guy's going somewhere else. You got to fire him. He's gonna. <laughs> Kevin Keats gonna cut him. I'm like, that guy's gonna transfer to like a North Carolina A and T or something like that. It's like a little lower level down and go get a chance to put up stats, which I go for it, man. But like, as a fan, yeah, it's, it can be rough. Yeah, gotta talk talk myself into this Mary Mac transfer or whatever. Pretend like I've been watching yeah, University yeah. of Albany games all year and feel very. That's strong. part of the fun to it me. Is, fun. is like you're like, who is this guy? Like Jack Clark came to us from LaSalle. I didn't watch LaSalle. Who cares about the Explorers, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, or even Mahortich came to us from Utah, and like I'm not watching Utah basketball. <laughs> are you kidding me? So our teams are gone. They are. Are there any Forever. other? Yes, <laughs> gone for. It is. It's also so brutal just how it happens in a weekend. Like it's. It's, it's just like that. It's the best weekend ever. I, I'm like going through withdrawal. The last 48 hours have just been torturous. We're yeah. recording this on Tuesday, the 21st, and it's just like, where, what am I supposed to do with my life? Yeah. Last yesterday was fine because I was watching. Uh, I was watching the women's games. But yeah, today and tomorrow, got nothing. Nothing to watch, nothing to live for. <laughs> just, uh, it's rough. It's rough. And then all of this, of course, too, like, this is all happening at the same time. Stage women did lose in the first round by one. Yeah, that was a brutal loss. <laughs> it was a bad year that uh, on that side of things. But yeah, I mean, it, it does. It, the tournament giveth and it taketh away. And, uh, now I'm just looking forward to buckling in and enjoying what we got left. We got some good stuff coming up. Some interesting Sweet 16 games mm-hmm. piling up here. So first thing I was thinking about as I was flying home from Sacramento this past morning. Yeah. Who am I actually rooting for sure. out of this? Because I really don't have any root. ACC. Now that's one thing that's interesting. My I was talking to my wife about this who is a Georgetown alum. And so she was rooting for Big East teams all weekend. Sure. She had a lot of Big East pride. She still got Xavier. And, and Creighton. And UConn. And UConn, yeah. So it was a pretty good weekend for them. I didn't feel that way at all. 
with the ACC. I okay. don't feel that. Do you feel that? Like, do you are you rooting for Miami now? Because I'm indifferent to them. So I rooted for them in the first round because I had a significant financial <laughs> investment in their success. But I'm relatively indifferent to them in particular, but I do. I think that this widespread narrative that like the ACC is so down and was so bad this year is not. I think it's a little misplaced, and I like any opportunity to prove that wrong. And so having Miami be uh, to me the fact the fact that it's Miami says to me the thing that I've been saying all year, which is it's not that the ACC is bad; it's that the ACC is solid from top to almost bottom, because Miami was not. Like, this is not Clemson, UVA, Carolina, Pitt. Like, you know, this this is not... I mean, they were the ones, but, like, they're... I don't know. They're they're Miami. They're not, like... To me, it's it's something about it that, that, that does feel good to see a team from the conference doing well. Are they the team that I'm pulling for the most? Probably not. But seeing them continuing to, to succeed does kind of give me a little bit of conference pride. I guess I do feel like people should shut up about how bad certain conferences are. Because, like, you could say that about the Big East, too. People, they've been an afterthought all year, and now they have three teams in the Sweet 16. Were they just a great conference, or did sure. they have three favorable matchups and three decent well, teams in the route, right? So, Big 12, best conference in the country, has two teams left. Right. And, and there has been... There have been many articles that are like, well, the Big 12 wasn't overrated, but... Like it's there's no I don't think you can get gleam too much from conference like how conferences are doing. Sure, the Mountain West has been criticized for not being able to win, mm-hmm. and they have San Diego State in the Sweet Sixteen. Sure, so I, I just I think all of that is stupid. I don't people don't pay attention to how conferences do at all. Like they shouldn't pay attention to it. I agree, except for when there's such a widespread narrative that like the Big Twelve is so dominant. I'm expecting to see But that see... narrative shouldn't exist anyway. Like that's what I'm saying. Like it's I right, think but it does. It, I know, I know. So <laughs> I get why you would be happy that Miami is in there. I just Fair. think all of it is stupid. I reject the entire conversation around it. I agree with you. I think my reaction is more accepting the world we live in is one in which that narrative is a thing. So I'm gonna react to it, okay. And I'm gonna live in. I'm gonna. I'm gonna avoidance. I'm gonna live in that world and say, "Oh, hey, look at this. You knew it was coming. West Virginia. Look what they did in the first round. They almost won. I'm pretty mad about that game. This is exactly what I told you would happen. I was right. You said it would happen against Alabama, though. But yes, you did. You did. Get no, the but I almost s- win. I said they win. would get in the tournament and they would almost win a game, and everybody would be all, "See, they're super efficient. Look at how they did. <laughs> they can be super efficient flying back to Morgantown. Like they can use an electric car. Like <laughs> that's not a knock on electric cars, but kind of is. The like Baylor loses to Creighton. Like so, this is my thing: is you're going through this, and it's fine. Like it's okay for you to dismiss it because you don't push the narrative. But there's been people, I have seen a few sports writer personalities out there who are like, look, the tournament doesn't alone tell us that this conference wasn't good. The numbers still say they were. And I'm like, okay, so what does though? Like what does tell us they're good? Because ultimately the thing I've been saying this whole time, winning games has to matter. And I think that matters for those teams. I think you can say that it matters for those teams. The SEC had a situation where they have Tennessee and... Arkansas 
in the Sweet 16. And Alabama. And Alabama. So that's great. Kentucky underperformed two games that they were sure. favored in. Sure. You have uh, it should be team Texas by team. A&M got right. blown out yeah. in the first round. They were almost won the SEC championship. I mean, like you could even look at it just from the tournament perspective. You have the ACC champions of their tournament. They're out. Yeah. You have the Big 12 regular season champions are out. Mm-hmm. The American tournament champions, Memphis, they lasted one game. So, like, what, like, I don't know, it's just all, it's all a hodgepodge, and you should, like, certain teams have thrived, and certain teams have failed, and, like... But to me, here's where it matters. All of these predictive metrics, the, the net rankings that come as a result of some of these numbers that we use, ultimately, what they are heavily influenced by is the majority of the games that these teams play, which is against their conference opponents. And baked into those numbers... Like, I understand there's some efficiency stuff, but what affects those numbers is the competition that you're playing against. And so when there's this perception that, you know, a a near win over a Big 12 opponent, because this is what got West Virginia in the tournament, is the fact that they played close to Big 12 opponents. That that's the thing that was meant to show us how good they were. And... Let's be clear. This is coming. We'll, we'll do a full thing on it when the tournament's done. But the net, the all these numbers, these predictive metrics, they're not having a great tournament. Like, throughout some of these results, a lot of those metric darlings, they didn't do so well. So, ultimately, this comes back to uh, the argument I've been making throughout this whole process, which is those numbers are not really that indicative of... Like, what did they tell us about Princeton? <laughs> you know? I, I, and I agree, I know, but I... Know I your argument is that this, that's why this isn't necessarily the best way to determine a champion. Right, but I would also say, like, you know, for if, to push back a little bit on that, like, the top seven Ken Palm teams are all still in the tournament. Yes, Purdue, Kansas, Arizona, Marquette, which are the next ones, they're out, they're upset. It's that not about happens. the top ones, it's about all those ones who lived on that, the Iowa States, the West Virginias... The, right, the but Texas they're, A&M. They're still, I, I hear you. But it's the ones that are in that next stage where it, it came down to, look, Clemson, like, I'll sh** them with everybody else. They, they made such a big deal about not making it and then lost in the first round of the NIT. Okay, even Carolina. But, like, my point is when you look at these, it came down to for seeding and for making the tournament for a lot of these teams – these numbers were supposed to tell us which ones were the better teams. And, and it's just, it hasn't really. I, I think we can go on a, a decent amount on this. I would, I would, we I'm saving it. some of it for we later. Can, we can't, I think, um, I hear you, but I also don't fully agree. That's fair. But I don't want to get bogged down in that right now. Cause I want to go I make sp- love to your numbers, nerd. That's amen. <laughs> Ken Palm had, Ken Palm had a great, thing before the tournament which i did not listen to in betting which absolutely should have which is that in the 64 team era there have been 36 teams to enter the tournament as a one or two seed that weren't ranked in the preseason poll Interesting. and they had zero final fours and averaged fewer than two wins per tournament and that those two teams this year were purdue and marquette mm. and two underperforming teams so like there is some level of understanding what's there based on metrics. Now, those two teams won a lot of games, so 
they deserved the seed that they got, but there's also a way of quantitatively looking at that and saying this is a team that is likely to underperform. But I don't want to get into that. Sure. Yeah. We could go on all day about numbers. I want to. You'd I wanna, like that, wouldn't you? I would. <laughs> I would. I'd like to. I'd like to spend time thinking about numbers that relate to who might win these Sweet Sixteen right, games that are playing. So, well, first, I don't think we. I don't even think we answered the question of who are you rooting for. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not... that was a 20 minute tangent on that didn't yeah, get that yeah. question. Who are you rooting for? For sure. If I got to pick one team to root for from here on, no, I'm not because I have my team that I think is going to win it all from here. The team I'm pulling for though is Texas. Mm. Horns up or something. I don't know. That would be a cool story for Rodney Terry. They have yeah. So you've got that idea. Their backcourt is I just love it. Serge Barry Bird is one of my favorite players in the whole deal. I like his mismatching shoes and his shot fake and love that kid. I also love that announcers just call him Jabari because they don't want to say Serge Barry. It's a lot of syllables. I give the man his title. <laughs> he's knighted that's right yeah this is this is tough for me looking at these teams because there are teams that i think are really good so i've been pumping up ucla all year i've been pumping yeah. up uconn all year yeah. and so i would feel better about my instincts basketball wise if they went on and won but i don't really like either of those teams like i don't know why would i why would i care how uconn does so i think i'm gonna root for just absolute chaos. Like, why not root for say, Kansas State? I thought you were going to say Princeton. No. No, no, no. Kansas State. How fun was Kansas State playing love, against Kentucky? Yeah. That team is so that. fun. Gonzaga. They still haven't won a championship. They've been in the conversation so many times. I like, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Gonzaga win one. Yeah. I See, I think UConn's going to win it. Or I, I, like, I just I love that UConn team. As I'm looking at it again, the more I'm thinking about it, like the other team I'm torn on is Michigan State. I kind of, I love Izzo. Oh my God. I I love Tom Izzo. And I can't get UVA fans to root for Michigan State. Sorry. This won't happen. You guys hate. They've knocked us out of the tournament too many times. Yeah. They've knocked a bunch of people out of the tournament because Tom Izzo is one of the greatest coaches to ever exist. So, like, whatever, man. Get over it. I think I. Remember Drew Neitzel? That's a guy to remember. Mm, Sure. Sorry, just threw that in there. Yeah. (laughs) Not even doing that segment, but have it anyway. That one's for free. (laughs) They got a Hauser. Yeah. The Hauser, the Hauser's revenge game against Marquette. I wouldn't mind seeing Creighton do well. Like get Creighton. They knocked us out of the tournament, man. But then you get to say that you lost to the champion and then hang hang that banner. We're not hang that banner. (laughs) <laughs> 19 and 1 went healthy. Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's let's do some picks. Yeah. Okay. I'm into it. So let's you know what? Let's start in the same order that we did in the preview. So let's start in the Midwest. Okay. So that's the Houston, Miami, Xavier, and Texas. Sure. Who you got? Who you picking? Yeah. So Houston, Miami. Uh Houston's favored by almost a touchdown. I don't trust Marcus Sasser's health at all, give me Miami. Give me Isaiah Wong to go for like 30 in this game. I also really like that big dude they have. I don't remember his name. And I don't even <laughs> want to look it up. Norchad Omir. They've, they've been a much different team with Omir in the game. Yeah. I I love 
Omir. I love Jordan Miller. Um, they've got a honestly the guy that okay name of the tournament and I love the way he contributes as a role player on a team where he's clearly not the guy because you got Nigel Pack and Wong in the backcourt. Amir in the front court is a great guy. Wooga Poplar. Where's number 55? It's pretty cool. It was a great number. Social media handle is call me Wooga. Love it. I just I'm all in on Miami at this point. They uh six and a half point dog. This team I think this game's gonna be a lot of fun. This game strikes me as one of those that's going to be close for a long time, and then Houston's going to pull away. This has like a very strong Auburn vibe to me. That. Where like Auburn, they were up ten at the half yeah. against Houston. It was like, oh, Houston, and that Houston struggled in that first round game at one sixteen. Maybe they were going to get upset, and then you <laughs> just saw. Then you saw just absolute Kelvin Sampson demolishing. Yeah. Like, that's the reason that they are a one seed. Yeah. So I think you had it six and a half? Yeah. All right. I'll take Houston. I'll take Houston to win that game. Even though I like Miami and their guard play to keep it close. Mm. They struggled so much with Drake. I watched a lot of the Miami-Drake game. One of the greatest rappers of our time. Bless it. (laughs) First of all, you know that's not true. Second of all. You know that's not true. Yeah, they did struggle with Drake. Sorry to interrupt your point. No, it's fine. They did struggle with Drake, but then kind of controlled Indiana. It was a better team than Drake, so the metrics tell me. Okay, can't have your cake and eat it too, my so friend. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take Houston. You're gonna take Miami. All yeah. right, other side, Texas and Xavier, and the game that I have gone back and forth on now four times looking at this. Sure, I have it at minus four for uh-huh. Texas. Yeah, I've got that. I've got yeah, minus four and a half. But. I am trying not to have too much of a bias on recency bias based on how by how much they their offense just on all cylinders just completely steamrolled Pitt. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to have a recency bias, but I really feel like uh, four points, that is kind of a stinky line. I'm going to take Xavier. I don't like it. Mm. I want Texas to win. I think a Houston versus Texas game to play in the Final Four in Houston would be a lot of fun. Yes. And I didn't get the Texas Texas A&M game that I really wanted. So that's what I'm rooting for. But I think I would have to take Xavier plus four here. Yeah. I get picking Xavier here. The the problem is Edmund Sumner, J.P. Mikura, they ain't walking through that door. David West, he's not coming through that door. This is not... The Xavier teams of past. I know that they they have a good record. They're seated high. You gotta have the dudes. They don't have the dudes. Texas. This is a Texas. Fremantle. Zach Fremantle. Okay. It does doesn't do it for Jordan Crawford. That's the guy I forgot. Trayvon blew it. Adam Kunkel. That's the that guy. I like him. But Samaje Christian. He's another one. I, to me, Texas is Texas is so good, and they they're playing so well recently. I think if you were to take kind of their back part of the season and extrapolated over the course of the whole season. They're probably a one seed. Like, they're playing like a one seed. Yeah, I mean, they played a close game with a scrappy Penn State team. But, um, yeah, to me, this is this is Texas. Texas by 10. Okay. Yeah. That seems like too many. That line just stinks a little bit to me. I think it, it should does. be a little bit more. I don't know. It does, but, you know, I'm running to it. We're going Texas 10. I Well... You're running away. I'm from running it. away from it. Sorry, yeah. I misspoke. It's fine. I think Texas, Texas by ten. Okay. Should we move to the next section? 
I have the West here, which is the game I'm most excited about having watched UCLA play twice. Yeah. They them play against Gonzaga. Yeah. I got uh, UCLA as two-point favorites. Yeah. That line also seems a little low. I think UCLA is going to win, although David Singleton hurting hurting his ankle. He says he's going to be fine. He it looked to us in the arena like he was freaking out on the court. It looked like there was some kind of compound fracture or Mm. something like that. But apparently, just rolled his ankle. Didn't handle it very well. Yeah, I I mean, I'm not sure how I would handle it in that situation. So not not play, not judging. I am get up and play. Uh, he will get up and play. Yeah, I think hey, I got to take UCLA here, even though the line stinks a little bit. I do too. I mean, Drew Timmy just played out of his mind in that last game for Gonzaga, and I just right. This is that time. It was that time with Gonzaga? Do you trust him? Do you not? Like Jesus, I don't know. I never know what to expect from them. UCLA veteran team, uh, Jaime Jaquez, Tiger Campbell. Give me all of it. They didn't play super well against Northwestern in sure. the start of the second half. They played pretty well in the first half, but they handled the moment. Mm-hmm. That arena got really loud. There were a lot of quiet, stressed-out UCLA fans, and Northwestern fans were just loving it. They were louder than all the UCLA fans were in the mm-hmm. entire arena, even though they were a fraction of have had as many fans. And UCLA bounced back. I really trust Mick Cronin. I just trust. I, too. I trust everything he does. He has his team ready wow. to go. Yeah, I mean, looking for trends. I think you know, can Temi replicate success based on their prior opponents? If UCLA was this, this is an interesting, just little. This is why I love the tournament. You notice these little fun things where uh, these teams have beaten a whole lot of purple. Mm. Grand Canyon, TCU, Northwestern, all purple. What does it mean? I'm having my Bill Walton moment right now. Did you speaking of that, you're having your Dave Pash this, moment? Yeah. <laughs> I'm picking UCLA is what I'm getting to. That's why I do my Bill Walton thing because it's UCLA. But this it's fine. the the second game here. UConn is playing for the first time in the tournament a team that is not named the Gales after beating hmm. Iona and St. Mary's. Look at that! So See? now they have to play against the Razorbacks. Minus four if you want to take UConn. Who are you taking? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I'm not interested in the spread here. I'm put, not, put your shirt back on. That's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the odds that uh, uh, Musselman takes his shirt off again. I think he should just do that after every game. That should just be part of his, even if they lose. They lose by 15, so, shirt comes off. So Arkansas, UConn, you said you you had UConn at what? Minus four. Oh, it scares me. It, it scares me because I think UConn has as much championship potential as anybody in this tournament right now. And they play a kind of a power game that I enjoy watching it. I think they can be their ceiling is so high. Yep. But I think Arkansas ceiling is pretty damn high too. Mm-hmm. And just the way that they play and the way they defend, but then Arkansas can find scoring punch when they need to. At the same time, UConn probably had the best two games of any team in the tournament. So ride the hot hand, go Huskies. Yeah, I also don't love it, but I have to pick UConn here. Yeah. They, I think they have the overall better team, better track record. Like you said, played the two best games, maybe of anybody. I mean, they've dismantled both opponents. Right. Yeah, I think I will take UConn, but uh, man, that, that does bum me out a little bit because Arkansas was one of my preseason Final Four picks because of just the talent that they have on their roster and Musselman gets them ready to play. They do have talent, but do they have talent in the right place? Like, So in other words... What do they have inside to answer Sonogo? 
I don't think they have anything. Like that's, He's going to score a ton. That's going to be the problem, ultimately. And, and and then you have you know Andre Jackson, who brings a power element to the game as well. And they have size elsewhere. And then they get pretty decent guard play. I, yeah, it's got to be UConn. Okay. Let's go to the East. The East. Madison Square Garden. I, lo- I love that this is at the Garden. So, Tennessee yeah. struggled against Louisiana. Played really well against Duke. Mm-hmm. Really just... They looked like men compared to boys on the court. They were sh- pushing Duke around. Physical. Wow. According to Duke fans, very illegally. Okay. And, gotta keep in mind, Martin Mitchell didn't play. So, so it's, still 20, it's still 19 and 1 when healthy. They weren't healthy. Doesn't count. They're playing Florida Atlantic, which escaped Memphis, and then got the luckiest gift of all in playing a 16 seed. This is the game I. And Tennessee's minus to... five and a half. I. You. I'm going to watch this game and I'll care because I love basketball, but Jesus, a, a, an injury ravaged Tennessee team. Ravaged might be a bit much, but they're missing their their point guard, right? I guess Florida Atlantic. Who gives Analytic, a hoot, Am I right? Analytics darling, Florida Atlantic. All right. Well, since you said it, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I mean, come on, like you want to look like men among boys, bring Florida Atlantic and against an SEC physical opponent. So Florida Atlantic squeaked by Memphis, who I think was a little bit of fool's gold. I think Memphis is good, but they're not like some amazing team. They and they got insanely lucky at the end. As as bad as Kihei's pass was, yeah. Memphis had the game won if a guy just dribbled it out and he threw it and got it deflected and right. jump ball. Florida Atlantic gets a chance to win the game the final five seconds. And then barely escaped FDU. Yeah, why is the why is the line five and a half? I have of no, analytics. I it's going to be an efficient five and a half. Let me tell you that. I'm going to pick Tennessee here, yeah. but I of it? am terrified of that line. That makes no sense to me. This will be the game. I almost guarantee this will be the team that is bet on the most. Like this will be the heaviest public play. Probably. And that's the same thing that happened with Marquette over Michigan State in the second round. And that didn't work out either. I don't know if any coach can, can get this Florida Atlanta team to beat Tennessee, but Dusty may. Bless it. That was good. That was pretty good. Yeah. No, I'll I leave that in. Yeah. <laughs> thank God. One of my only things is going to get left dead, which is a real bummer. But uh, Tennessee. Yeah, it's Tennessee. Sorry. Sorry, Dusty. You can go take that whatever job is left now. He's been too successful. If they had just lost in the first round, he could have had that old Miss job or something. Providence maybe still still around. Yeah. We'll get to that in a second. Second game. The game that I think most people are excited to see in the Garden, Michigan State and Kansas State. Michigan State's favored by two. They play pretty well against Marquette. I'm going to take Kansas State here. I think, like you said, they have dudes. uh, Noel just absolutely, like, shot the lights out. I'm excited to see him in a Madison Square Garden environment. Like, I think that is going to be from little apple to big apple. Let's go Wildcats. What this comes down to for me is the fact that Kansas State has two, I'll say two of my top three favorite players in this tournament. Strictly from a basketball perspective, Brandon Miller's in there because he's so good. We don't mm-hmm. we don't need to relitigate all of that. Although sure. there is new video evidence that looks pretty good for him. But Kansas State between Noel, sorry, the little guy, uh, and Keontae Johnson, which 
What a story. This I'm is rooting a, for him. This is a guy who collapsed on the court and it looked like he was done at Florida and just thought that I mean, his life was in danger, right? It wasn't even just basketball. And now he's their leading scorer um, over the course of the season. And I don't know if you if you're out there and you haven't watched those two guys play, they're a lot of fun. And and Jerome Tang, their coach, is I, I didn't know a ton about him prior to this tournament and just kind of looking into him some more and listening to some people talk about him and his style. And um, I heard a really cool story about him the other day that was uh, he was he had a chance to interview for a job and, and the person telling the story didn't say where it was for obvious reasons, but he had a chance to interview for a job at a program. And he said in his interview with the AD, he was like, look, I want to turn this place into the next type of like Gonzaga. Like we expect to be competing all the time. We're in the tournament all the time. We want to compete for championships. That that's where I'm taking us. And the AD was like, I don't think that, I don't know if that's realistic here, but we love the vision. Like let's try it out. And he turned down the job because he was like, no, if you don't want to go all in and say, if you don't believe that we can do that, I don't want to be here. And he's that type of guy to just kind of say like prior to a game, Hey, if you don't think we can win this game, don't take the floor. Like this, this isn't for you. And I just think that's a cool coaching message. I like the way he goes about things. I love Tom Izzo too. I know you were saying you don't, but this is a great coaching matchup, but I do think Kansas state takes it. All right. Last region, the South in Louisville. Yeah. We've got Alabama playing super well against San Diego State, the plucky Aztecs. I think this is a really hard team to pick, a hard game to pick. Yeah. I think I'm going to pick Alabama. Mm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Alabama minus 7.5, but that's a lot of points. I think, again, it'll be very close for biggest, a while. Second biggest line for the weekend. I mean, yeah. the Creighton-Princeton line is the only one that's bigger than this one. Okay, so here's the thing, right? If San Diego State's going to make shots like they did in their second round game, they can then, beat anybody. Then sure, like yeah, they're fully capable of making a championship run. There, there's a reason they're a five seed. They they don't do that with regularity. Alabama, you talk about. We talked at one point when we were previewing the bracket about identifying vulnerabilities in top teams. What is Alabama's weak spot? Cold shooting night, possibly. That's it. And San Diego State's going to make it tough. They are a really good defensive team. But so is Alabama, like sneaky good. And at the end of the day, if the theme of today's conversation is the dudes you have, they have the dude in the tournament. Like Brandon Miller is the best player in this tournament. I will say they won their first game even with Brandon Miller playing awful. I mean, I guess it was against a 16 seed in yeah. Texas Corpus Christi. But he had zero points almost until the end of that game. And they still, the game was never in doubt. I thought he finished with zero in that game. They might have, I but he wasn't scoring. Yeah, he he did not score, right? So, and they had and they had ninety six points as a team, right? So I think I think they have multiple options. They are not completely beholden to him no. as good as he is. Quinterly plays really well in the tournament and is playing really well right now. They've got again, it's 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 talent up and down the roster, and they took Maryland apart, a talented Maryland team that beat West Virginia. The vaunted, the, the best team, Mountaineers in of West Virginia. No, I mean San Diego State. So they beat College of Charleston by six. Really good mid-major opponent, and then tore apart Furman. But like, no offense, but it's Furman. So yeah, Alabama. Game two, as you mentioned, the biggest line on the board: Creighton minus ten against Princeton. I'm scared to bet against Princeton at this point because I really thought like. 
There's no way. I was like, okay, you beat Arizona. There's no way they're going to beat Missouri. Like, this is the perfect game for a teaser. You yeah. Tease that yeah. line down. Tease that line down to something like minus five, minus six, something yeah. in there where you feel real good because Creighton's going to win this game. Yeah. Princeton has played great. It's a great story. They've played really well. They're very undersized. They have no answer in the for post. Cockburner, yeah. yeah. So tease this line down. This is my. This is the betting advice you can get nowhere else. Tease the line <laughs> down. Maybe with Alabama, just revel in it. Go, yeah. Go Jays. I like this to either tease with the Alabama line or maybe even the, the UConn line. Mm. Or Texas, actually. The uh, I'll have to look at that for my own purposes. Um, I'm not giving out anything for free after the great betting. Got to call the 900 number that we have. That's right. Yeah, I, I think this is gonna be this is gonna be great. And like, I'm sorry, Princeton. I would I would love to see their run continue. I think that'd be awesome. At the same time, I'm kind of saving you from yourself because if you beat Creighton, you're just gonna have to go play Alabama. <laughs> that's that's not going to be good for you. So let's just end it with dignity here. You made it to the Sweet 16. Hats off. Go work for your Fortune 500 companies, and we'll be good to go. <laughs> there was several. I saw so many uh, players hugging each other memes that were like, I got the McKinsey internship. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> that's so good. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think. I think the magical run comes to an end. All right. Well, those are our Sweet 16 picks. Should be fun Thursday, although it's just it won't be the same without games on during the day, during the work day, distracting me. Like, what's the point? Yeah, can't find an excuse not to work now. It was really nice Friday. We had a teacher work day, so I could just work from home. Mm-hmm. Sure. For legal reasons, I got a lot of work done, but uh, there was some basketball on the background. Also, shout out to YouTube TV, not a sponsor yet, for. Adding in their multi-view feature now so that I can have four games on at one time on my screen. Yeah, I know there was some discussion of whether they were going to have that back for oh, the tournament. They made it work. Good Love point. it. Good stuff. I hate that we're at the part already where we should just have a tournament with everybody. Like every single school so that we can have a solid week full of games Best all of day, seven. Best of seven series with <laughs> everybody in the just tournament. do this every day all year? <laughs> Well, why don't we just not work? <laughs> there you go. So those are the teams that are playing this week. But we've also had the fun coaching carousel start whirling around in real time. We've got Chris Beard officially taking a job at Ole Miss. Yeah. We've got... Hope he doesn't joke. Mm. You've got Rick Patino signing with... St. John's, and you have Ed Cooley leaving Providence yeah, to go to <laughs> yeah to my wife's alma mater, Georgetown. Yeah, in no particular order. Georgetown, kudos, home run hire, love it. Honestly, kind of shocked. Like, didn't think they'd be able to get somebody with that kind of experience with where that program is right now. Patrick Ewing did his damnedest to run that thing into the ground. Ed Cooley will do a phenomenal job there. This is like a how do you, there's almost no potential for this to go wrong. Um, Unless you, I mean, the, the question will be, what does success look like? If the success for Georgetown fans is to get into the NCAA tournament almost every year, I think there's almost no chance of that not succeeding. This is why Ed Cooley made the jump, I think, is the ceiling is higher at Georgetown. So he takes a Providence team that hadn't made the tournament in a while and was down in the dumps, 
gets them to a place where they're consistently appearing in the tournament. And, you know, I think the ceiling at Providence can be a little bit higher than that. But he had, you know, a couple seasons where they won some games and whatever. At Georgetown, though, that's the first step. You get them back in the tournament, and now you've got this insane pool of talent around you that's looking at Georgetown as like, hold on, competent coach, some success, maybe I'm interested in this. Maybe local D.C. kid or Nova or even in the Maryland, whatever. You know, New York, you start to see some of these recruits that are like, maybe it's worth me going there, and you build a base of talent. Yeah, I think this is great for Georgetown. Stay in the Big East, St. John's, Rick Pitino, sure. I mean, like, why not, I guess? I don't really care, to be honest with you. I don't care about St. John's. I feel like every five or six years, the media tries to get sports fans to care about St. John's basketball. When Chris Mullen showed up there as the coach, they were like, hey, St. John's, this will be fun, right? And everybody's kind of like, sure, I guess. But with Bayheim out at Syracuse, there's kind of a void of, like, God, I hate using this phrase, but, like, who's going to be New York's team? Like, who's the – there's a lot of talent up there. So, can he tap into that before Ed Cooley does at Georgetown or something like that to start to get those recruits? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all it's all kind of interesting to see how it unfolds. The biggest thing for me is with Cooley taking a Georgetown job, it was rumored that Keats was in line for that potentially. So, he's off the table. I would assume he's back now. I don't think there's anywhere else I could see him really going – yeah, I mean, I think... Not willingly, at least. Right. Um, that's fair. I'm interested in that Providence job. The thing that I've been seeing that I really, really love the idea of is Bobby Hurley going to Providence. Oh, interesting. So you have Bobby and Danny Hurley twice a, twice a year UConn-Providence matchup. That'd be fun. I feel like that'd be a blast. I'd watch that. Yeah, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this season is void of, like, major... I mean, you still see what Texas is going to do. Bill Self has health concerns. What's going on at Kansas? Is it something that leads to him stepping down or something like that? You know, but you don't have the like big, big openings this year, I feel like. Yeah, I would say Calipari is under some pressure, which is stupid to me, but like there are there's a significant portion of that fan base that wants him gone, and there's a significant portion of Texas's donors that would like to see just throw all the money and see if they can get him. That'd be hilarious. If he goes to Texas, he wins a championship in, within three years. I'm telling you right now. Probably, but it's also just so hard to consider firing Rodney Terry, who's won the Big 12 tournament. You've got to trade him, throw in a first-round pick. There you go. <laughs> I'm also, the one I'm most interested in, which I am inclined to think is a really great hire, is Damon Stoudemire at Georgia Tech. I think that's going to be very successful. He's got experience on both levels. Yeah, I, I think that is just a really interesting hire, and I feel like he will immediately inject some excitement, in, particularly in recruiting in the uh, Yellow Jackets program. Yeah, I think they crushed it there. That's about as good as I could see that getting. Yeah, I, I really... I was kind of surprised by that. They moved very quickly. They threw some money at a guy and got somebody that they felt, and I feel, is going to be a really sneaky good hire. I mean, it's it's better than Josh Passner, so. Yeah, Josh Passner is available, but I think he's, you got to think he's going to be on TV. Don't you think he'll just be on ACC Network all the time? God, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna uh, to happen. to listen to him talk to Luke Hancock. <laughs> Jesus. They'll, they'll, uh, Carlos Boozer will be fired and they'll just slot him in there. Oh, that's so 
bad. I'm hoping he'll be like a color commentator. I don't know why I'm hoping that. I want him to go coach at like Siena or somewhere where I don't have to see him. I want him to coach in the ACC. Let's get him another job. What's what's Boston College doing? Let's put him in. Let's put him up in yeah, they Chestnut finally, Hill. They found a decent coach. The the when Leonard Hamilton retires, they're mm. passing down there in Florida State. Perfect, do great down there. Well, we will continue to follow this. It's I. This is I don't know. This is like when the NCAA video game, you know, get that coaching carousel. You got to start thinking about yeah. which coach is going to go where. I. It's almost almost as fun as watching the games themselves. I love it. Hey, speaking of coaching, I got some good coach speak. Okay. All right. You have a coach speak of the week? I got a coach speak of the week, but it's it's a positive. Okay. But it's a positive that is reminiscent of a negative that we had, I think. Okay. I don't remember if we brought this up as coach speak of the week, but we definitely talked about this. Hey, remember when Nate Oates said that his guy was in the wrong place at the wrong time, the whole murder thing? Yeah. Shout out to Nick Saban. Nick Saban had the ultimate subtweet. I don't know if they still call it that these days. Sure. But... Nick Saban had the ultimate subtweet in his press conference. If you missed it, I know we're not in football season right now, but he was giving a press conference. He was talking about a freshman defensive back, Tony Mitchell, uh, who has a suspension from the Alabama football team due to some drug and weapon charges. He was driving 141 miles an hour when he was arrested, which is amazing. Gotta love that speed. I'd love to see his 40 time. But what we're here for is the Nick Saban quote, Everybody's got an opportunity to make choices and decisions. Here's the good part. There's no such thing as the wrong place at the wrong time. It is what it is, but there's cause and effect when you make choices and decisions that put you in bad situation. Surely he's thinking about NATO when he says this, right? There's no way he's not Nick doing Saban, this on purpose. Nick Saban is a lot of things. He is one of the most aware yeah. people. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is asserting dominance over this other coach and saying, look, we have to make a better vision of our entire school. And you, indirectly, Nate Oates, yeah. are making our institution look bad. Fix it. it I, it's going to hurt my recruiting. I'm only going to get 25 stars <laughs> as opposed to 22 five stars. Like that's the it's, level. That's the level of minutia yeah. that Nick Saban thinks about. Oh, though. sure. It's better leadership than we saw from their athletic director. But this is Nick Saban taking control and saying, "This is my institution." Basically, mm-hmm. I own Alabama, and yeah, you, what you did was bad for the brand. And we're sitting out here saying, "No, no such thing." I hold my guys accountable, and therefore. We're going to start to see, you know, I think he's hoping, you know, this will set a tone for accountability throughout the whole athletic program. I thought in terms of coach speak, coach, this isn't really coach speak, but in terms of a quote coming from a coach at a press conference, this is about as good as it gets. Yeah, that 100% agree. This is like a fastball right up, right up by Nate Oates' face. Yeah, love it. Brush him off the plate. Love it. I got one more fun thing. I don't okay. know if it'll work as a surprise segment. You can just say, I want time to prep this for next week. Okay. Thing I thought about the other day. If there was a new rule in college basketball alone, we can do this for football later on as well, where teams had to construct their rosters of only guys from their state. What are the like biggest... It's obvious where advantages would be. Mm-hmm. Texas, Florida, like whatever. Yeah. But what are the biggest shifts? So the thing that brought this to mind for me was watching Kansas the other day. And I've driven through Lawrence, Kansas. Nothing there. LFK. So 
I, I had this thought process of like, man, if they could only recruit in Kansas, what a different world that would be. Like this blue blood program would be nothing. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about this, like kind of from a perspective. And, and as I'm thinking, it's, as I'm talking it out loud, it probably needs to wait till like next week's. Yeah. Week I want to, I want to think about this, that because I have I, a state I, that pops right off the page. I want it to be like a, who you taking, like mm-hmm. in a tournament, if we took this year, this year's bracket and like, Obviously, there's some that are repeats in states, but took like the major school from those states. Like, who who are you taking? Yeah, and, I love that. And I even thought of it as a like so a situation where you got NC State and Duke from North Carolina. Duke can only take kids from like private high schools. Ooh, that may be that too may, far. Be too complicated, but it's easy for me to think about for North Carolina. But like, it may be too hard for. But it's kind of a who you take in and where do you see biggest changes? We can save it for next week. I think. Yeah, let's say you know this would be a good thing if anybody has thoughts on that who like a state that you think is really gonna overperform again i have one that i jumps to mind alaska surprisingly good well this jumps into my i've i've been wanting to do this segment of best all-time players from each state right. yeah but if shout you get, out to mario chalmers exactly but if you have any ideas about this uh you can write into the show at preferred walk-ons at yahoo.com or find us on twitter or instagram at pwo pod and subscribe and in your review you could just say kansas probably wouldn't be that good if they only could recruit in their state and then give us five stars that'd be a weird thing to say five stars which kansas wouldn't have they wouldn't have five stars and they're none from there (laughs) they would have maybe some two stars yeah indiana probably has a bunch yeah they'd be pretty good i'm excited to do that next week and we can talk about the final four which will be set oh yeah good times (laughs) 